0: Last time on Have You Seen This Man? John Rufo was backed into a corner, but still free on bail.
1: You think what would well? Yeah, yeah, I would uh, put it this way. i keep an eye out.
0: His lawyers were ready with a scorching defense. At its core, the claim that Rufo really was secretly working with the government. Obviously there was something going on with the Russians. A stunning revelation Withheld from the U.S. Marshals, it would be years before they learned that Rufo had been an FBI informant.
2: Did they ever give you an explanation for why they didn't tell you? They said that they didn't think it was relevant.
0: I'm Sunny Hostin from ABC News. This is Have You Seen This Man?
3: Uh, good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Louis Free, the FBI director. And uh, let me just introduce to you the.
0: At the very moment John Rufo's lawyers were building his defense, another man was being thrust into the spotlight.
3: We're announcing today the arrest of FBI Supervisory Special Agent Earl Pitts for conspiracy to commit espionage, attempted espionage, and other offenses.
0: Had John Rufo's case just become more complicated? For that, we turn again to our senior investigative reporter. Matthew Mosk
2: So I'm driving in where am I? I'm in rural uh, Virginia, Spotsylvania, and I'm on my way to try and meet the wife of one of the most notorious American turncoat spies in history. A FBI agent who in the 1980s was caught spying for Russia and went to prison. Uh, this woman, actually is now his ex-wife, we'll see if she has anything to say. It was early evening and I made my way down a dark sloping driveway. When I knocked on the door, a dog barked and the door cracked open. For a number of weeks now, I've been trying to track down a man John Rufo, claimed he knew from back around the time the computer business was taking off a former FBI agent once stationed in New York, a man named Earl Pitts. But Pitts was no ordinary FBI agent. He was a notorious traitor, and he wasn't going to be easy to find. I had dragged down his ex-wife, Mary, to ask for help. Decades ago, she made headlines because she had helped turn him in. It was an unthinkable turn of events as she explained at the time on 60 Minutes.
4: Was it a big step for you?
2: Yes, I knew that he would be totally devastated that I could go behind his back to someone else. And at that point, I realized my marriage was gonna be over one way or the other. But that chapter is long past. As she heard my request, she listened politely, but was skeptical. I first heard about Earl Pitts from another woman betrayed by her husband. Someone who also saw a storybook marriage obliterated by a seismic jolt. John Rufo's wife, Linda. Linda first told me about him during a dinner, not long after we met. She had a hunch he was important to Rufo's story, but didn't know exactly why. I didn't understand exactly what was going on. And it it
0: was kind of scary.
2: And you had mentioned that one of the agents was a man named Earl
0: Pitts. He wasn't one of the agents that came into our office, but it was during
2: the investigation of Earl Pitts, who was sentenced to a very long sentence for being a spy. And what was the connection there? That name kept
1: coming up during that time.
2: Did Rufo really know Earl Pitts? Report to him? His legal files gave me a first glimpse into his interactions with the FBI. But buried deep in those boxes was another set of papers. I can't know for sure why, but after his arrest, Rufo took time to make a written record of his work for the government. And now I was looking at a copy. In typed up notes, some dictated to his lawyer and others apparently he wrote out himself, Ruffo gave his own account of those years. This is a colleague of mine reading from his journals.
4: During the periods of December 1986 through approximately June of 1988, just prior to the end of the Cold War with the Soviet Union, I was involved in various work and projects with the counterintelligence unit of the Federal Bureau of Investigation. The work was secret, had national security implications, and therefore was classified.
2: Rufo provided his own version of events. He said it was a private investigations firm that first connected him to the FBI. That firm, known at the time as Kroll Associates, had offices across the hall.
4: Most people involved with investigative work would be familiar with Kroll Associates. That was probably the most secretive company that I had done work for.
2: Kroll Associates no longer exists as it was then. It was sold in 2004 and successor firms were formed. But I did manage to reach the original founder of the firm, Jules Kroll, by email. He wrote back to me to say, he had absolutely no recollection of these people or these events. Ruvo said it was a retired FBI agent who worked at Kroll, a man named Bill Kish, who became the conduit that introduced Rufo to a multi-year relationship with the government. By Rufo's telling, it was a relationship that
4: blossomed. The group or squad I worked with was responsible for catching spies. My work was broad in scope and included the following types of espionage and counterespionage for the United States government.
2: Rufo spelled out a long list of the activities he said he did for the FBI.
4: Covert operations targeting Soviet diplomats suspected of being KGB agents. Aiding in the defection of Soviet citizens suspected of being an intelligence officer. Technical assistance in bugging computer equipment entering the Soviet mission. Entertaining Soviet diplomats. Counterespionage surveillance.
2: Counterespionage. Like that day Linda remembered when her then-husband took a Soviet diplomat to a Yankees game. Rufo described the assignment in his journals, saying the FBI gave him three tickets and asked him to take a man named Vladimir and his son to a game.
4: I had to convince Vladimir that it was important to attend. It took some convincing.
2: After they entered the stadium and sat down, Rufo said he spotted FBI agents in the row in front of him.
4: During the game, the agents observed Vladimir and his son very closely I was instructed by the FBI that on a subsequent meeting, I would reveal to Vladimir that everything we were working on was a fraud, and the entire purpose of the past few months was for him to meet the government officials to discuss his living in the U.S.
2: Rufo wrote that at the same time, the FBI was running a bogus electronics store called Home Entertainment Systems, not to be confused with any present-day stores by that name. This one, which is long since closed was actually a front company that the FBI used to lure Soviets who craved Western technology. The Russians were eager to get their hands on computers, and that, Rufo claimed, is how CCS came to employ an undercover FBI agent.
4: When he was exposed to Soviet citizens in a potential sales environment, he would be in a better position to convince them he was acting as a computer professional and not a spy. In reality, he was observing Soviet nationals and reporting back to senior government officials and his acting squad supervisor. Earl Pitts. Earl Pitts.
2: Like everything else with this man, I had to consider that this was an account draped in embellishments. Let's not forget, John Rufo was a con man. He lied prolifically about himself and his connections. So this could easily have been another chapter in his long book of bluster. And yet, some details could be checked. In his journals, Rufo identified FBI agents using both their real names and cover identities. One of them was a man named John Blaha. Last fall, I found Blaha. He retired after an exemplary career in the FBI's New York office, and was now working corporate security for a major healthcare company. Blaha remembered meeting Rufo in the 1980s.
1: Well, he was an odd, uh, if my recollection uh, is on point, he was an odd individual. Small in stature, um, attired sometimes uh, in a very professional manner, and then sometimes rather sloppy.
2: As Blaha explained it, Rufo had joined something called the Young Professional Organization or YPO.
1: Well, these are individuals that are self-made people that have started their own companies. Uh, They uh, were very successful companies. And we elicited support from uh, certain members of the YPO group to backstop operations, covert operations and things like that. And at one of these um, meetings, these ad hoc meetings, they produced this individual, John Rufo, who was very capable um, in the field of, uh, you know, computer technology. And in 1990, 1991, believe me when I tell you, the bureau was in the dark ages with computers at that point. So he was of interest.
2: And his- Rufo left the same kind of impression on Blaha
1: that he seemed to leave on everyone. He could fit into a crowd. You wouldn't really pick him out. He wasn't tall. He wasn't, uh, you know, outlandish in attire or anything where you would look and say, who's this guy?
2: I explained to Blaha that I had found his name in Rufo's papers. And back in the 90s, Rufo was planning to mount a defense in court based on the idea that he was an FBI asset. He argued as part of his defense that he had worked as a cooperator on A highly sensitive covert operations for the FBI, counterintelligence operations in New York City.
1: And um, any any name of an operation? Did you come across a name, a code name? um, um, Because uh, the the Bureau did have bogus companies set up in New York.
2: Yes. One of those companies was called um, Home Entertainment Systems. That electronics store that Rufo had claimed the FBI was using to attract Soviet nationals who were craving the latest TVs and stereo systems.
1: I know the name Home Entertainment Systems. Yeah. That name rings true to me. And is he describing it accurately in terms of the purpose? Yeah, somewhat. Um, it, it would, he's making it more sophisticated than it actually was. It was an effort to um, garner Uh, of kind of a um, um, favoritism with, uh, at the time, Soviets uh, at the United Nations. They um, longed for equipment, uh, high uh, tech equipment.
2: I asked Blaha why the FBI might turn to someone like Rufo. What possible purpose could he and his computer business serve?
1: If you're going to put an operation together, you need a backstopping, legitimate backstopping where um, because you're going as a a covert operative, you're going to be an associate of of a company and you have to have enough backstopping from the top of that company that you won't be exposed when people start asking hard questions. So that was always being sought by the Bureau.
2: I was scanning through Rufo's diaries as we spoke and I noticed something. I should say, because I just, it just caught my out of the corner of my eye, when he references you in, the, in his diary, he says that you used an alias, John Brinkley. Does that sound yeah. right?
1: No, that's right.
2: So he, knew, he did know he what knows, he was talking yeah, no, about. No, he,
1: know, he, knows, he knows what the aliases were and everything.
2: I was curious if Blaha might recall anything about Rufo's claim of luring a Soviet national to a Yankees game.
1: What what was the name of the national? Does he know?
2: I read to him Vladimir's full name, which I'm not including here.
1: Yeah, don't name means nothing to me.
2: Yeah. And he claims in here, and and I'm curious about this because of what later happened, that the supervisor on that operation was Earl Pitts.
1: Holy. So he's saying that he had a connection to Earl Pitts, who obviously uh, committed treason. Um, oh my God. This is more involved than, uh, I could ever imagine.
2: A thought occurred to me as I was talking to Blaha. If John Rufo really was making contact with the Russians, could they have helped him when he suddenly, desperately needed to get out of the country?
1: He left, obviously, from Kennedy Airport. That's the way he got out of here, because he's in... Quarantine. Well, his car was found at Kennedy Airport okay but nobody knows how he left
4: <laughs>
1: a little sneaky son of a gun well when when you have technical capabilities um i don't i don't see him having a network where he could uh go to someone and say i need a, a phony set of id pulled together for me i don't think he could uh, i don't think he had that kind of connection this uh this was a, to me, a low a low um, end player. He wasn't he wanted to be bigger than he was. He wanted to seem more important than he was. Um, but you have to be um, you have to work in some pretty murky water to be able to contact somebody and say, pull together a passport, bogus passport and ID form.
2: Would he have had anything as an expert on computers, as yes. somebody
1: to he offer may have. the Soviets? Yeah. He may have. Yeah. I mean, that's a possibility.
2: I think we both knew this was veering into very speculative
1: territory. Um, The the point you bring out about Russia is interesting, though. uh, I mean, that's an interesting concept.
2: The retired FBI agent had shed new light on some of the most shadowy questions about Rufo's past. But one topic remained murky, whether he worked with the FBI agent turned spy Earl Pitts.
1: I didn't, I didn't know him at all. Earl Pitts, you bring up some interesting things here, Master. Yeah, no, no, you're, uh, you're on to something here. This is a good story.
3: This is World News Tonight with Peter Jennings.
2: The arrest of Earl Pitts in December 1996 was big national news.
5: At a courthouse outside Washington today, the FBI announced that Earl Pitts, a 13-year veteran of the Bureau itself, will be charged with spying for Moscow. Here's ABC's Barry Serath. At
6: a federal courthouse in Alexandria, Virginia, Earl Pitts was formally charged with two counts of espionage and two lesser charges. Pitts, a 43-year-old supervisor, is only the second FBI agent ever charged with spying.
2: A top federal prosecutor branded him a traitor.
6: Nothing was sacred to Pitts. He was willing to betray his country, his agency, and his fellow agents.
2: I reached out to my friend and colleague, Pierre Thomas, now the Chief Justice Correspondent for ABC News, who covered the arrest that day as a young reporter for the Washington Post.
3: I have to admit that the U.S. government, the FBI in particular, was shell shocked, just shell shocked, that their own people would be among the folks who would turn coat. I mean, suddenly it was in their own house and it was extremely damaging.
2: This was all going down at a time when both countries were on a hair trigger.
3: I I call it high stakes chess. That's what they were playing. And back then, the quintessential thing to do was to find someone on the inside of the other government willing to portray their country. And Earl Pitts was one of those people that was an invaluable asset uh, to the Russian government.
2: Pierre told me Pitts did something the FBI thought simply could not happen.
3: The thing that was so insidious about what Earl Pitts did is that he took the heart of what the FBI's counterintelligence operations were in New York and exposed them to the Russians. They wanted to know who we were talking to. They wanted to know what we were talking about. That's precisely what Earl Pitts was providing them. The case left a mark. When you spoke to FBI officials, you could hear in their voice their angst. You could hear in their voice that this was something personal, not just grave in terms of what it meant, but it was also embarrassing. It was embarrassing. This is the FBI. I mean, those those three letters evoke something in this country still. And that's just not the story that you wanted. That's not the, the image that you wanted. The notion that an FBI agent would be willing to, for money, for cold, hard cash, to give up information about Uh, what the FBI and the U.S. government was doing is just, you know, beyond the pale. Hearing
2: this, there was a question gnawing at me. Why was a copy of Earl Pitt's indictment sitting in a file kept by Rufo's attorney? Did they really know each other, as Rufo claimed? I knew nothing that Rufo said could be taken at face value he certainly wasn't afraid to embellish an association with the FBI to work an advantage. In fact, this happened during the middle of the Project Star scam. As he was investing millions, Merrill Lynch raised a red flag about Rufo and Reiner's. The company even suspended the CCS trading account, suspecting the two were laundering money and demanding to know where all this cash was coming from. Rufo told Merrill Lynch, call the FBI, that his money stemmed from work with the government. And the head of security for the brokerage firm did just that, reaching the chief of the FBI's New York office. Documents show how the chief responded. The FBI, quote, may have done some business with CCS, but he provided no details. It's just
7: very, very odd, you know,
2: retired US marshal Barry Bowright, one of the first deputies to hunt for Rufo, told me it was like Rufo had some kind of pull with the FBI that he just never fully understood.
7: From the beginning through all of the all of the fraud that he had done, the lives he was living, and all the different players in it his attorney, you know, the FBI, the um, US attorney's office. Um other people that were involved with Rufo. It's just when you put the whole thing together, it's just weird. It's just, there's a lot of questions in there that we just don't know.
2: And after his arrest, Rufo mounted a defense resting on those connections. Rufo's lawyer, Jud Burstein, even wrote to prosecutors to alert them. Rufo had a contract with the FBI that said CCS might need to, quote, participate in unlawful acts, and that the FBI might, quote, expressly authorize such acts. You
7: don't try a criminal case
2: coming in and saying, I was a
7: government agent, and I thought I was doing this as a government agent, unless you have backup.
2: How hard did the government fight you on being able to reveal John's Secret role with the
7: FBI. They they fought me very hard. They fought me.
2: Barry told me it was the kind of thing that could ultimately prove embarrassing to the FBI if it was played up in court.
7: Well, if he, how do I put this? So if he was if he was doing some stuff with the FBI and it came out, he could say whatever he wanted, and I don't know that they would have wanted that publicity that, you know, hey, look, this guy that we just, you know, investigated was actually working with us. It it just, just wouldn't look good.
2: Especially right at the moment the agency was being hit with a spy scandal. I spent months trying to get in touch with the prosecutors who handled the Rufo case, but none of them would agree to speak with me. The media team at the U.S. Attorney's Office tried as well, without success. I even sent a letter by express mail to the home of Prosecutor John Klein, who led the case. But I received no reply. I did, however, speak with Gene Rossi. Rossi's a former federal prosecutor who worked in the same Virginia office that brought the charges against Rufo though he arrived just after Rufo's disappearance. I met him at his Georgetown office to get his read on what might have happened in the case. Rossi sat behind his desk and scanned through the Rufo plea agreement. He paused as he read the provision allowing Rufo to turn himself into prison even after he was sentenced.
8: I may agree to bond before sentencing, but I never would have agreed to voluntary surrender i i don't think i can recall anybody who did those types of cases ever agreeing to voluntary surrender after he's sentenced highly unusual
2: i asked rossi if there was any possibility the government was lenient towards rufo because he had done such sensitive work for the fbi there are examples of cases where defense attorneys essentially rattle the saber. I've heard the term graymail applied yeah. to this. That
8: What's your understanding of graymail?
2: That it's essentially like, we can go forward with this, but we're going to put some very sensitive information into the public yeah. domain. It's, it's not blackmail, it's graymail. It's like,
8: it's like, hey, if we go to trial, you know those memos that you don't want public? We may have to use them at trial. Because that's going to help us defend our client. And Rufo
2: had some ammunition there.
8: He did. He did. And I don't know what effect it had on what I consider some um, generous concessions. Uh, I don't know what effect it had. Whether there was, whether this case is a classic example of gray mail.
2: Judd Burstein rejects this idea. He said the classified material was not being rattled like a saber it was part of a legitimate defense. Still, Rossi said he simply didn't know why prosecutors never objected to letting Rufo go home. He said he couldn't think of a logical explanation. Unless there's something
8: extra out there uh, that we don't know about beyond the
2: four corners of these transcripts. He said that could be the material contained in classified court filings. It could be his uh, his involvement with uh,
8: Pitts, Earl Pitts. That could be out there. I don't know. I don't know. I have no personal knowledge. But this this arrangement is something I'm extremely unfamiliar with. Very unfamiliar. By what you mean? I've never seen it.
2: I still didn't know why prosecutors never objected to letting Rufo drive himself to prison, or whether it had anything to do with that other big case happening at the same time, the Earl Pitts prosecution. It was dusk in the Virginia suburbs outside the home of Pitts' ex-wife, Mary. She had asked me not to record our conversation but she was kind and polite. And after a few minutes of talking, I headed back to my car, encouraged. All right, so I just met Mary, who is the ex-wife of Earl Edwin Pitts, and uh, she's agreed begrudgingly, but with interest in helping the marshal solve this case uh, to help us track down Earl Pitts. Uh, who has just been released from prison. She's been resisting, contacting, but now feels that there could be some good in getting back in touch. We'll see if that works.
0: In a tiny Missouri town of just 400 people, a weathered, soft-spoken former FBI agent who made headlines decades earlier had resumed a quiet, simple life. One day last year, he left his tranquil farm plot and drove an hour south to Springfield.
2: Are you Earl? Yes. Hi, I'm Matt Moss. to meet Nice to meet you. Thanks so much for doing this. Oh, sure.
0: When we come back.
8: Some folks don't stop searching till they find the truth. If you've got a detective's eye, June's Journey is the game for you. Play as June Parker in a gripping murder mystery as you find hidden objects to help solve her sister's death. You'll hunt for clues in hundreds of beautifully illustrated scenes set in the roaring 20s. New chapters are added weekly. Find your first clue by downloading June's Journey today. Available on Android and iOS mobile devices, as well as on PC through Facebook games.
0: Hey, I'm Andy Mitchell, a New York Times bestselling author. And I'm Sabrina Kohlberg, a morning television producer.
7: The most notorious murder cases in New York. Pure evil. And the most devious killers. There's
0: a Hannibal Lecter feel to him.
7: For chilling true crime stories, follow the True Crime NYC
2: podcast wherever you listen. I was watching the suburban developments of Northern Virginia flash past me from the back seat of a government SUV. Deputy Marshal Danielle Shimchek. And one of the agency's top financial analysts, Hank Martin, were following a hunch. Tell us where you go where we're going. All right. All right, so we're going to go interview
6: Phyllis Kish, who is uh, Bill Kish, retired FBI agent, his wife since passed. Um, so his wife makes he living here. You just want to talk to her.
2: Just uh, a little bit of the basics of who is Bill Kish. Um,
6: so who Bill Kish was he? Is a Um, a retired FBI agent Um, who worked up in New York and he retired and opened up a private investigation firm. Um, So Bill later, um, after Rufo went on the run, was hired by the banks um, to investigate and track down Rufo and his money. So he was an integral part in the Rufo Case, pretty much from the beginning. And then he, he worked with the marshals too. He he helped the original agents, uh, you know, with interviews, track down leads.
2: So if he was alive right now, he could actually be a big help to you. Oh, yeah,
6: he'd be a huge help. And he he uh he worked with the marshals, and marshals stayed in contact with him through the years, but obviously we never got a chance to talk to him. He passed before um before we got the case, or right around the time. we.
2: So, in the absence of him, maybe his widow will remember something about John Rufo that could be helpful? Right, yep.
6: And any, you know, since we can't talk to him, any little bit of information would be great. You
2: know,
6: I don't, I'm not sure if she still has records
2: or files. Just as we eased into a spot across from a colonial house on a quiet cul-de-sac, the garage door opened and a car started backing out. Danielle and Hank hustled to meet them. The marshals were on the hunt for one new stream of information, and I was looking for another by trying to track down the man behind one of the more unusual spy cases in FBI history. Earl Pitts served 24 years in prison after pleading guilty to espionage. But now, he had come home to Missouri. On a family farm, he had resumed a peaceful life, reading books and enjoying the solitude and natural beauty of the land where he grew up. He agreed to meet in Springfield and to see if he could help us find some clarity about John Rufo. Just wanted to make sure um, you're comfortable doing this, that this is OK with your plea agreement and your parole and everything else. Yes. You're... Well, I'm trying to think of where best to start. I, I wanted to I want to talk about um, You in New York, Russians in New York, I want to talk about Rufo and his environment and what he was doing. I mean, ultimately, the purpose of this conversation is to try and help us understand where John Rufo might be or how he might have gotten away. That's. I played Pitts a recording of that first conversation with Linda invoking his name. I wanted him to understand why I'd reached out to him And I wanted to see how he'd react. And you had mentioned that one of the agents was a man named Earl Hitz. And what was the connection there?
0: That name kept coming up.
2: So she brought up your name because one of the things that John Ruffo did during this period after he had been arrested was that he tried to claim that he was a cooperator with the FBI previously and that his company, CCS, was a front company for the FBI. I just w- was wondering if that rings any bells with you or his name as you look back.
9: No, the uh, the first time I ever heard the name John Ruffo was when you, you brought it up to me and in the context of this conversation. I showed Pitts
2: documents from the Rufo court file in which he had invoked Pitts's name, along with other FBI agents from the New York office. He paused and read them carefully. What do you think?
9: Um, I'm not familiar with any of those names on there other than than my own. (laughs) Um, No, I'm I'm at a I'm at a loss where he would have even gotten my name.
2: Does the description that he gives of the work he says he was doing ring true to you as something that would have been done out of the New York office of the FBI?
9: Operations like that uh, in general wouldn't wouldn't be unusual.
2: Pitts never wavered on this. I showed him Rufo's picture. He said he simply did not know him. As I shared more details about Rufo's claims, he tended to agree with the position that federal prosecutors took at the time, that Rufo was trying to bootstrap his past government work to the outlandish crime he had
9: committed. And, uh, of course, it's, it's certainly possible that that he was working with the FBI and doing illegal activities separate from that so it's not unusual at all for informants or, or assets to cooperate with with the FBI or other law enforcement agencies on on one level hoping that they'll be there to, to vouch for them or give them some some sort of cover for other illegal activities that they're not disclosing uh, to their agents. Pitt said
2: his read was that once Rufo was in trouble, he had tried to exploit the relationship he had built with FBI agents, and maybe, he said, with the Soviets as well.
9: Well, I, I would certainly consider his the contacts that he made with Soviets. Yeah, he he might be a worthwhile target for an intelligence officer just because of the people he knew.
2: Do you think that the Soviets at that time would have been receptive to an outreach from somebody with his knowledge base, his background?
9: Oh, absolutely. They're, They're always receptive. Uh, Yeah, someone who who had access to computers, who could acquire computers for them, who who has contacted them. Uh, Even if they believed that this person was doing it on behalf of the FBI, I believe they would be receptive
2: to him. At this moment, I couldn't help but ask Pitts about his own experience. I mean, this was someone who had allegedly made his own plan to mount an escape, as FBI Director Louis Free told reporters after his arrest. As the
3: U.S. attorney indicated, it was an emergency escape plan, and it was a plan which he developed and which uh, uh, was a subject of great concern, obviously, during the court. Can
2: I ask you about your personal experience? Because I watched the press conference that Louis Free held after your arrest where he, insinu- I think he said outright, um, that, that you had a plan to leave the country. And is that true? Did you contemplate leaving the country or, or ec- being exfiltrated in some way? Pitt said it was the FBI working to trap him who pretended to be Russians offering an escape plan,
9: which he says he rejected. In my rejection, I told them that I I had a plan and I wouldn't need their help.
2: I wondered if he had any insights about Rufo. Here I was talking with a convicted spy who had his own exfiltration plan. Did he think Rufo had a plan or could have asked the Russians for help
9: in getting away? Uh, An intelligence service could certainly help with uh, false travel documents, uh, they, uh, you would expect them to have safe houses that could be used to, to get someone who's in a fugitive status, who, who's on the run, off the street and have a, uh, a, a place for them to stay while the, the temperatures uh, I guess you would say go, goes down a little bit I mean does this mean he has to
2: be in Russia or could it mean something else
9: well no it doesn't mean that he has to be in Russia he could uh, he could be in in a lot of places I, I guess one of the advantages of him being in Russia would be uh, it's a difficult place for for the FBI or or the U.S. government to do fugitive investigations. About
2: this, Pitts was right. I spent time with one of the senior U.S. Marshals in charge of overseas cases, and he was pretty blunt. Russia would be a very challenging place to look for Rufo.
3: It doesn't help on our investigation. He had his own dealings with the Russians, Now, it's up to the Russians if they protected him, or is there a possibility that they made him disappear? I I just don't know. Um, my, my, My job is to try to develop information that would put us on his location.
2: Earl Pitts has not done many interviews since he left prison. In fact, I'm not certain he's done any. But these days... It would seem he's living a solitary, reflective life. We saw you on your farm. Um, are you content here? How are you? How are you doing? Oh, I'm I'm doing very well.
9: He paused for a moment. I don't want to sound flip uh, when I say I'm doing doing very well, but uh, yeah, I was arrested. I pled guilty fairly quickly. I went through an extensive uh, debriefing as part of my plea agreement. I did my time. I've been released and, uh, you know, moving on.
3: I left
2: Missouri with the impossible task of squaring two versions of a story that couldn't both be true. Earl Pitts was insistent. He did not know John Rufo, and John Rufo swore he did. Only one's telling the truth, but which one? The slippery con man with a track record of lies, or the Soviet spy fluent in deception. Back in suburban Virginia, Danielle and Hank emerged from the home we thought belonged to the widow of Bill Kish, that retired FBI agent hired by banks to find the money they loaned to John Rufo. How'd it go?
0: Fantastic.
2: Uh, We'll talk in the car. That's great.
0: oh, Oh, it went well.
2: The house actually belongs to Bill Kish's daughter Karen and her husband Ralph. They told the deputies that they didn't know anything about Rufo, but Karen's brother, Kevin, might. As we prepared to leave, Karen and Ralph came out from the house, and Ralph seemed excited. I just
9: looked at Kevin.
2: Oh, good.
9: And I said, uh, It's about one of your father's cases, and the, the name off of. Off the tip of his tongue was Rufa.
5: (gasps) He goes, I think I know where he
9: lives.
2: I asked Ralph to explain. So you came out and you told them you talked to. Her brother. Her brother, which is Bill Kish's son. And what did he tell you?
3: I said, they're looking at an old case. And he said, Rufo, right off the... Wow. And I said, well, they'll probably call you about him. I said, because I knew if anybody would know, it would be Kevin. Yeah. And so he said, yeah, I I think I
2: know where he lives. So. He knows where Rufo lives. That's what he said. But I mean, that's, this is probably years ago.
0: As the U.S. Marshals continue their investigation into John Ruffo, the leads they find keep pointing them in one direction, toward Italy.
1: The clothes were Italian, the uh, restaurants were Italian, uh, learning the language. Everything, it seemed to me, was about Italy.
0: And the investigation could take another turn, with an assist from the son of a private eye who closely followed the case in the years before he died.
6: Hey, Kevin. Hey, this is Danielle Schumchick with the U.S. Marshals. How
0: are you? Next time on Have You Seen This Man? If you have any information that can help the U.S. Marshals find this man, call 1-877-WANTED-2. That's one 877 926 or send a tip from your phone through the U.S. Marshall app called USMS Tips. That's USMS Tips. And if you haven't already, follow this podcast to make sure you get new episodes as soon as they're released. Let us know what you think with a rating and review. Have You Seen This Man is a production of ABC Audio and the ABC News Investigative Unit, written and reported by Senior Investigative Producer Matthew Moss. Field production by Alex Hosenball. Additional reporting by Kate Holland. Produced by Suzy Liu and Kate Holland. Mixing and mastering by Evan Viola. Special thanks to Aaron Ferrer, Lewis Millman, Leighton Schneider, Aaron Katurski, Brenda Salinas-Baker, Josh Cohen, Chris Vlasto, and Stacia Deshishku, Cindy Galley, Matthew Mosk, and Liz Alessi are executive producers. I'm Sunny Hostin.